call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 107 of Call It Friend of the podcast, where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy, J. Richie, and my co-host, Donica Tiernan, watched two films from director Vim Vendors, Alice in the Cities and The American Friend. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at CallFriendOfPodcast. Drop us a line there for any feedback or recommendations, please. But I'm out on the road again I'm on the road again But I'm so tired of crying But I'm out on the road again I'm on Nice. Road again. Kind of a Mike nice, Rice nice, move there. Mike, nice, nice Mike Rice. Mike Noodles, yeah, exactly. He doesn't listen to this. So the, no, the, of course not. Really... That's why we keep saying it. We're just trying, yeah, to, trying to filter <laughs> word back eventually till he eventually answers our call. I mean, you got to do something with your life, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I've devoted it to getting Mike's attention through this podcast, as opposed to just sending him a message or something. <laughs> Wait, Arnie, you're going to meet up with him in about an hour and a half. Yeah, but I won't tell him about this. Don't tell him about this. This, no, is, our no, little, no. this is our little secret, and no one it, can ever know about this. It has to get back to him organically. That's yes. the only way it works. Orgasmically. It. Wait a minute. That's not the capital of Montenegro. That's Edinburgh. Well done. Yeah, you've pieced it. You've ah, so you've foiled my evil plan. That's right. Yeah, I am, oh. I'm not in Edinburgh though. This is this is actually a lie. This is just a background and works well on the audio format. Oh yeah, no, it does. I am in the capital of Montenegro, Pogorica. Oh. I mean, your setup looks so much more chill than mine. It's it is chill AF. I don't have uh, a wife or daughter, <laughs> as far as I know. Yes, that's right. You're like Neil Macaulay. I'm very much like that. That's how, I've, as you know, that's how I've always lived. And sometimes I do feel the heat around the corner. Yeah, yeah. I'm but more like Al Pacino. I like I, to have. I, I I like to be able to walk out in 29 seconds flat. Oh wow, that's even. Yeah, I shaved an extra second off. Well, I I'm actually a little bit like Neil Macaulay, but not all the way like you. What I like to do is go around and find um, ex cons uh, to get shot for me outside banks. That's it. That's all I do. Well, I can imagine you going, I can imagine you going to like bookshops and looking at books about drilling and drill bits <laughs> and things like that, but not because you want to plan a big heist, like, just because uh, that's the kind of thing you're probably into. Just because I'm a nerd. Just drills. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm definitely the type of uh, guy who would go to a, a bookshop to meet ladies, but those aren't the types of books I'd pick up. I'd like, I'd, I'd hang out in the Germain Greer section. That's be, a good plan. Like, uh, yeah, I think it's a great book. I'm a dickhead. I'm I'll a see dickhead. you there. Yeah, exactly. I'll see you there. Well, they probably uh, don't have feminist bookshops in Montenegro, do they? Because they've solved so. the problem there. There's no, there's no need for them anymore. I don't think they have feminist bookshops in 1974 when the film Alice in the Cities came out. Ooh, a push then a shove. Um, <laughs> probably not. Uh, probably not. Um, th- these, you know what? Vim when Vim Vendors is makes films of such a style that just on that alone these are very good companion pieces but I'll tell you what you, like it's hard I watched the two of them in a row like not very much space yeah, between the two of them that's kind of tough going because you this is pacing like this defines deliberately paced you could say mm. both of these films second one slightly less so in the last half an hour maybe but well, yeah I mean yeah, 
the second film has source material to go off of. Mm. Alice in the Cities is semi-travelogue of what it feels like to drive around the US or... And then Europe. Go, yeah, and then go from like Holland to Germany and go on the Schwebebahn in Wuppertal, mm. which looks like a lot of fun. There's a lot to like in um, both movies, oddly, uh, in a way, the plot to the the plot to Alice in the Cities makes slightly more sense just because there's certain bits in uh, The American Friend that stick out and I don't know why they're there. Maybe you could explain mm. some of them to me. Yeah, um, if they're related to Ripley stuff, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you end up reading that book? I read the first chapter. Oh, that's uh, good. <laughs> which is good for me. Yeah, as yeah, I, yeah. I can, I'm barely literate. So, uh, but what I did do is like I went back and looked at the plot synopsis of the novel, and it's basically exactly the same as the 2002 film, the John Malkovich Ripley's Game, which I have not seen. So the Vim Vanders one is like is v- heavily different. It's barely Ripley at all. Wow. Okay. But yeah, we'll get to that when it's Ripley time. When it's Ripley yes, we plot. will. Okay. Uh, what did you think of Alice in the Cities? I liked it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for all the reasons that I tend to like things like like this. So going back mm. on all the Colofrendo classic points of like a film set in a time and place where I was watching it going like, oh, look, there's the Twin Towers. In the, yeah, 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 yeah. Look, he's driving around. It reminded me a lot of my experience of traveling around the US. Yeah, you do. They do really get the feeling for that, right? I don't know. Like, I wouldn't say I got all existentialist or anything, but there's a, a a weird feeling about being like in between cities in America, and there's just so much space and so much stuff, but it's all nothing. If if you get my meaning, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. It and also feels. It, go on. I was just gonna say, it feels like it feels like a young man's film. Yes, I think that's fair to say. Uh, when he there's a part in the film where he sta- say, uh, where he says his age, and I was like, huh, all right, hey, junior. Yeah, he's like 31, the main character of Philip. Yeah, which, do I look older than him? I don't feel like I do. I thought he was older than me. But he's got 1970s face. That's true. All that smoking and leaded petrol and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I think this is his, was Wim Wenders' third film, maybe? He did the one before this was uh, his um, Scarlet Letter adaptation, which looks awful. Well, I hate that book. I would never... It's a it's a horrible book. I really, really, really hated it. Which and I'm not like I'm not averse to reading and appreciating a classic, but I don't know why anybody would ever read that outside of whatever fucking year it was made. Never mind, make a movie about it when you're of the new German cinema movement. Do you know much about the new German cinema movement? Uh no, literally nothing. So before I dropped out of college, I was all set to do my um, final project on a film by a guy called Schlondorf, um, something, The Life of Veronica Crumb, maybe, uh, which is about a woman who gets falsely accused during the Bader-Meinhof years with the RAF and stuff like that. Anyway, but that like part of that was looking into the German film movement. Now, the most famous players uh, of which are, of course, Wim Wenders, Werner Herzog, and a guy called Rainer Werner Fassbinder. Have oh, yeah. you heard it? Now, Fassbinder is kind of the definitive face of it because he was just hyper-productive, Gay guy who always lived with women as well, um, like uh, cocaine and weird clothes and like public aggression and stuff. Just everything. Very familiar. 
everything you think about when you think of fucking Berlin in the seventies, <laughs> you know, just all, all that aggressive, evil hippie bohemian shit. Um, but he made good movies. I've seen a few of his movies. He'd be the, like, but the general, but Vim Vendors and Werner Herzog, who were uh, friends with him, wanted really nothing, nothing to do with that. But they got defined under the umbrella. See, a bunch of these German filmmakers got together and said, "Let's just make films that." So let's ignore the box office potential of films and let's uh, just make films and aim strictly for artistic merit. That's that's going to be the movement. The thing is, the government got really in on it because there was a, an awful lot of uh, money being pumped into the maintenance of sort of German culture at that time. So they like some of the films, some of the weirdest films they made would have been like 90% funded by the state. But the thing is, Wim Wenders and Werner Herzog kind of didn't want anything to do with the movement because they were just out on their own making shit. And they were like, yeah, well, we're going to aim to make stuff that's really good anyway. But as evidenced in what Wim Wenders got up to, and we've talked, we've done you know, there's enough said about Werner Herzog on the internet. We don't have to fill in that blank. Uh, we also we've talked about Werner Herzog in the films we've watched of his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We well, we covered um, what you call a gear of the wrath of God before, didn't we? Yeah, and uh, little blabler, little Dieter. Oh, little Dieter needs to fly. Little Dieter needs to fly. Oh yeah, and then that postscript of him going down to a gas station in a wheelchair and killing himself. Oh yeah. Yeah, what a madman. But anyway, the point point being is like, because Vim Vendors has a big career as a photographer as well, but from Alice in the City's on, he's kind of, I mean, he made so many road movies, and you can see that there's a real nice method for somebody with such a good visual eye. Like, he's got a great eye for a composition, whereas somebody like Werner Herzog was very proud of saying he never used storyboards. I mean, first of all, Alice in the City's and American Friend both, very, very composed, but at least four or five times in each, you, there's just some striking visual composition. Like, you know, in, um, when he blows out the Empire State Building? Oh, yeah. Things like that. Or when they're on top of the Empire State Building and they're just looking and then the binoculars start following this bird. <laughs> oh, you mean I like ju- an actual bird flying? I thought you meant yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a penis. No, um, I'm a lady, but still. Oh no 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 no! <laughs> well, this uh, the, these both of these films were shot by uh, Robbie Mueller. Oh, he did both, did he? Yeah, yeah, and then he went on to work with Jim Jarmusch and Lars von Trier. And his one of his last films was Twenty uh, Four Hour Party People with Michael Winterbottom. Wow, mm. I don't know how much memory I have of that and how well it was shot, but I watched that a few. It times. looked very, it looked very real. I remember just because they had all the real people, but like playing different characters. I just remember mm. it felt quite gritty. Yeah, and kind of, uh, I don't know, I, I remember I really, really enjoyed that as a film because it was like, it was really into how shambolic the whole story was. Yeah. It wanted to tell that, which yeah. I liked very... Wait, so you were doing like a, you, were you doing like a university course in film studies? I did a few courses in film studies, yeah. But So what was your overall, like, what were you doing? Because you like dropped out of, you uh, dropped out of film or what? I was doing a, an utter nonsense course. Um that it was basically an arts degree, but it had it had pretensions of being something else. It was called New Media and English, and there was a whole digital media side to it. But by the time I got there, all the stuff they were teaching was completely outdated, like the website design they were teaching, even the editing, the like they were doing shooting on mini DVs. So I knew enough about film to know that these were out of date three years ago. It's just silly. So what I did was just 
axed all the media production stuff and just got into like reading texts and watching movies like you know and analyzing and texts like that and i did one that was history of film studies which was heavy going but then i did two semesters of just general film studies with this dude who would just it was just the most open forum ever and like at the end of the year you just had to write an essay on whatever just make up a title and write an essay american students did not like that methodology but i <laughs> uh, i aced the fucking class every time quite frankly i did very well at it oh for real no no i got a1s all around and i was probably an annoying student but no this was first time around and this was film studies which was very heavy going but with the fyp you just picked a text be it a film or books or whatever to analyze from a certain direction and we were doing new german cinema with relation to like i don't know the socio-political effects that cinema can have it was heavy i wasn't really into it but then when i got back i got to do the idea of exam like examining two historical traumas with the same story structure uh, by comparing heart of darkness with um apocalypse now apocalypse now fair play yeah it was fun Wow, <laughs> I get the sense I get the sense neither of us are too interested in Alice in the Cities. Quite nah, honestly, so I mean, how did you watch it? Did you watch the the like remastered? Because in 2014, the yeah, it sounds like the film was basically had fallen away to nothing. They yeah. copied the negative like 140 times or something, and it was just like they had to piece this thing together. It seems like. Do you know what's incredible about it? It's like, like okay, so it's clearly shot. There's a lot of people who are in this movie that have no idea that they were in this movie because they're not the sort of people who are going to go see an arty black and white film, eh? And they're just standing by a road in fucking Rukeldorf or wherever the fuck they are. So, like, there are, there's no sets. It's all just shot on location, on the road, on the go. But it's also, like, like, it's very well put together. I mean, like, there's parts of it, like, for the thing I mentioned, blowing out the Empire State Building, the, you know... Is, is probably grainier than somebody would like it to be, or even the Chuck Berry concert. But when he, like, it introduces um, Philip at the start of the film, there's, like, a, this dolly shot that takes you underneath the pier, and it's just, it's well put together. Like, you know, the a lot of the driving shots are well put together. Have you watched but, either of the other, of the Road Trilogy films, The Wrong Move or Kings of the Road? No, I haven't. Um, I would be interested to, but not immediately. We talked watched, about The Wrong Move before. Did we? Yeah, because that was the film debut of Natasha Kinski when she was 12. And it okay. was controversial because she goes topless. Ah. It's the same lead actor, Rudiger uh, Vogler. Yeah, he worked a, a lot with similar film sort of character, I think. And then Kings of the Road was the year after that. They were all, it was 74, 75, 76. What, what other vendors' films have you seen? Uh, I've seen Paris, Texas, of course. I've seen a couple of the documentaries. Um, so I've seen um, Buena Vista Social Club oh, yeah. and um, the one he made about the photographer, The Salt of the Earth. I think that might be it, to be honest. Um, I've never seen um, Wings of Desire or Angels Over Berlin yeah. or whatever it's called. I'm a, little, um, I'm a bit put off by that, just by the angel, <laughs> the angelic nature of it. Uh, I'd like to watch it at some point, but I mean, I remember, w I remember one time I put it on for like as a casual evening. I'll just stick this on, and it's immediately I'm arty, I'm an arty film. And the thing is, is like when he's doing his whole long take, no action thing, but it's like a road movie. I kind of dig that because it's you know it's sort of it's in on the rhythms of real life, really. 
But when it's showing you like angels pensively standing over 1970s Berlin, it, it has more of a music video vibe, which I believe, I think he directed. He music did do videos. music videos. Yeah, I remember he did. He directed a music video for the Scottish band Idlewild in 2002 for oh, the song uh, Live, in, <laughs> Live in a Hiding Place. I remember that. Um, and I'd be, he, he definitely must have done something for you too at some point. Because oh, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He made a movie with them, didn't he? Or at least with Bono. His first uh, film is about the uh, Kinks. In yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Kinks, the Kinks do they? They have a bit of uh, input into um, the American Friend as well. Yeah, they're uh, singing a couple of songs. For Alice in the Cities, the things I enjoyed most are the things I've talked about so many times before. Of just seeing the 1970s, seeing them riding on the uh, the flying train. I ended up looking on uh, on YouTube and watching a 4K 60 frame per second upscaled video from 1902 of that flying train of the uh, Wuppertal Schwebebahn. It's by a, call, a guy called Denis Shirayev. Wow. And he basically like takes old films from like the early 20th century and kind of modernizes them. And it's it's really, really surreal. It's definitely worth watching. I'll stick it Sounds in the show fascinating. notes. fascinating. Yeah, yeah, do. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, it's about, like, I suppose this is, like, it, it is an enjoyable film to watch if you've got the time and the inclination, which I did when I watched it. But it's like, it's as aimless as an existentialist novel. And you, it almost kind of is, but then it's got a very, it's got that sort of paper moon structure to it as well. Which like was the thing, Vanders saw Paper Moon when he was in the process of making Alice in the Cities and was, he was going to quit. He was going to, he's like, uh oh, someone has made a film of a man and a young girl traveling around. And he was like, oh shit. So Is that made, for real? Yeah, did yeah, you yeah. Find, did you find that on the Wikipedia page? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he made oh, yeah. some changes to his, his uh, shooting script. Oh, yeah. It's, it isn't very Paper Moon. I mean, it's very, very different. It, the only thing, the only similarity is just that it's like man and young girl. That's it. Yeah. No. 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 I would like it's a it's a different it's a completely different tone to Paper Moon yeah, because yeah, yeah. Pa- Paper Moon is kind of jaunty and fun, and this is like aimless and existential. He's just bit like all his the article. I always find it funny um, when journalists present articles in in movies because it would that would just never fly with an editor. Like the story <laughs> is just fucking America's fucking shit. Do you know <laughs> I what I mean? There's no structure to it. Yeah, Maybe yeah, we should run through the plot very quickly then. We should, yeah. There's a guy called Philip, Philip Winter, and he's yes. driving around the USA in his car. I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like it very much. He starts off, like, he's in like North Carolina, and then he drives up to New York. You get to see Shea Stadium. Yeah, that that's a great fun. little cut, isn't it? Yeah. He's very, uh, very, well, one thing I'll say, just for even those, these two films, but like definitely in the other ones I've seen, you could say his style of filmmaking is an acquired taste, but in terms of craft, I think Vim Vendors is a yeah, master solid. filmmaker. It's like the amount of times he uses sound to establish wider locations. And it was so like that bit with the organ in Shea Stadium is just so genius. He go like he is like I think he's at the train station. He's like, ah, oh, what's that? He's like, oh, it's the organ of Shea Stadium. Next minute, cut to Shea Stadium. Next minute, cut to him back at the train yeah. station. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's just really well put together. The only thing I thought was weird in this film was uh, almost every scene fades to black. Yeah, very Jim Jarmusch like that, actually. Yeah, it's strange transitions between scenes. So anyway, Philip Vinta, he's uh, he's in New York. He has to file a story. He's a German uh, journalist writing a story about the U.S., but he goes to his editor and basically presents him with a big pile of shit. <laughs> like, I don't, it's traveling in the car is very hard. Yes, I don't like it. 
So he just he, he's taken a bunch of Polaroids and that's it. And he's struggling to get back to Germany because there is an air traffic controller strike. So he decides he has to fly to Amsterdam and he goes to book a ticket at this office, which is quite weird. There's a young girl in the revolving door who yes. is sort of playing with him. And he's a big yeah, Alice in the cities. And uh and he's a big man child, so respect yeah. there. I sent you a photo of the lady that he interacts with when he's buying a ticket. Just yes, because just because I feel like this is one of those films where when they got English speaking a lot of the English speaking people in the film are just they're clearly not actors. They're yeah, just yeah, some yeah. random like she's like, Hello, you would like would she like to buy a ticket? <laughs> Yeah, but I was there looking at her going, ah, she's a real 70s lady. Look at that. She is a real 70s lady. Yeah, Definitely actually, not what, an actress. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the the German lady is an actress either. Maybe she is. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that at one point in New York, he interacts with his German lady friend who's basically telling him, like, you can't stay here. <laughs> and he's, like, getting undressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just whipping he's off like, his shirt. Well, obviously, we're going to bang because it's 1973. So we're European. Come on, come on man. Come on, now. Um, we're Germans. Yeah, Alice's mother is fitter anyway. Alice's mother was married to Wim Wenders for a few years. That's uh, Oh, really? Yeah, Lisa Kreutzach. He's been married five times. Well, you know, you know, he's a successful director. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, his, his, like the marriage he's currently on has been going since 1993, so I let him oh, off the hook. Respect, respect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, uh, I think he's, he's big into the old uh, Catholic Church. He made the film about... Uh, Pope Francis. Yeah, Pope Francis. That's bad. I didn't even know the Pope's name. You know, he's just Pope to me. Whoa, don't you? Yeah, you just call him the Bishop of Rome or something like that, yeah, do you? Yeah, yeah. yeah so he's, oui. he's big into the old Catholic Church. So I'm surprised that he's, he's been married so many times. Because I remember years ago, I used to work, I worked with this Irish girl. This was in Lisbon. And uh, I, was sharing, I was sharing a flat with her and this uh, English girl. And we were, she was talking about our boss. And she, was, she, she said, the, the uh, Irish girl said, you know, I thought he was a really nice person when we first met. Like, he seems so nice. But then I found out that he's been divorced. <laughs> and I was like, what? She was like, yeah. I mean, like, I assume, I, like, I, I thought he, he seemed nice. So that was kind of shocking to me. So there you go. That's, I'm extrapolating that that is what all Catholics believe. That's a mad thing to be saying. Isn't it? It is, yeah, so, yeah. I, so that's, that's what I think. That's quite a Lisbon story. It is, and that, I, I, that is that experience was based on the 1994 film *The Lisbon Story*, directed by uh, Edward Edward Wilhelm Wenders, who uh, oh no, sorry, Ernst Ernst Wilhelm Wenders, who once theorized uh, how well, the best way to get to eleven from twenty <laughs> minus that? nine nice. nine eleven. Okay, there we go. We're We've back blown to this thing right now open. There, there, there we was go. a few shots of people in both films walking around looking at the Twin Towers, which is very suspicious. Suspicious. I thought it sounded extremely <laughs> suspicious. <laughs> I think you might have caught some, some early mujas uh, with their eyes on the prize. I'm pretty sure he was feeding this all back to the Taliban. I'm 99% <laughs> sure. Even if the Taliban didn't exist, I still think he was... I was um one one thing that's nice why like you I think you kind of have to be interested in in films and film history to enjoy something like this because one thing that's nice about watching it is because as gradually as they go around the country and the nice images pop up here and there 
there's no way they could have effectively storyboarded it because they. I doubt they location scouted. No, nah, it's all shot in. Uh, it's all. It was all shot in um, order. Yeah, 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 and like on the fly, basically. I'm sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, all, I mean, even the the soundtrack was done by the band Can, and uh, it was done in one day. Yeah, I mean, have it you just, ever listened they, to a Can album? Yeah. I know they're, well, yeah, bits and pieces, but, like, they're insanely talented. It's not my type of thing, mm. but they were, they're, like, some of the most heavily, some of the most heavily trained, like, rock band members that I can think of. Just, like, well, they all they all went to music school, and they're, like, sons of, you know, high-level musicians, composers, and stuff like that. There's Well, there's at least, like... I, three uh, can albums that I would like, um, but it's all jamming and experimental. And, yeah, it's um, very experimental. So that experimental kraut rock. Yeah, kraut rock. That's it. Um, I, but like I, me. I, I got into kraut rock a little bit for a time. But the thing is, the, it would always be matched up with like yeah, some incredibly good jam session, and then a fucking I don't know eight minute noise track with uh, demo Suzuki just wailing and yeah, yeah. I, I like Kraftwerk though. <clears throat> yeah, she is the model and she's looking good. I listen. I started listening to a bit of Can when uh, Marvin Caller came out because uh, oh yeah, yeah, quite a few a, of their songs are in there. Spoon has a very uh, good entry on that actually. Mm-hmm. The song Can, the song Spoon by Can. So where where are we at now? So um, all right. Uh, uh, so he she he meets Philip Alice's met, mother. Met Alice's mother. And Alice's mother is having some sort of crisis where she's trying to get back with her man, who's not Alice's father. Yeah, she's a terrible mother. She's not great because she gives her daughter, she hands her daughter over to, a stranger. to essentially a stranger and says, can you escort her to Amsterdam and I'll see you in Amsterdam. Yeah. And, uh, this, this, that's a strange thing about this film. And I, I've seen, I read a lot of comments in various places saying, like, people saying like, wow, you couldn't make this anymore. And yeah, you probably, I, I don't I know. I don't know. Do you think you could, because like, I think the world is a very different place now. I don't know. I mean, this is, this is one of the most optimistic takes that I've seen of like a man and a young girl like interacting. <laughs> well, I mean, we've watched Lilia forever in the last few To weeks, be fair, so. actually, this is not, I mean, it's not too dissimilar from things like Last of Us, actually. Yeah. Even it's, though... Ellie from The Last of Us, the actor, is starting to grade on me a little bit. I'm not a fan. Really, of, I thought of her she, well, we'll, we could, we'll talk about that next week because we will, the because yeah. Uh, yeah the final episode is going to be airing tonight. What? Like, I don't think necessarily you could make something like that these days. It's just because ultimately, I don't th- like. I don't think the story is necessarily pessimistic. I don't think it's pessimistic to include a, a bad parent in a story. And like, essentially, what your arc is is. She badly needs a parent. He doesn't really know what he needs. He's wandering around going, America's shit. And then, you know, he, I don't know, he gets a slice of real life by hanging out with this kid, basically. But at the same time, there is that, I suppose you could say that there's a pessimistic angle to it slightly because you're, if you think about the film for longer than five seconds, because if you think about it for longer than five seconds, you're going, well, what's going to happen to poor Alice? That's incredibly sad for Alice, the entire experience, because she's just been ditched. Yeah. She has no idea where she is or anything like that. It's just sad. And there's a part where she's like, just like uh, crying in a bathroom because her mother's left her behind. And you're just like, yeah, that's appropriate. And that's played off as like a sort of jokey scene because Philip's just reading through the names of German cities from his little book. Yeah, but I think those, those, I think that stuff kind of works. I think like agreed. The humor 
generally works in a strange way because and actually for well, most of the Germans film are I, famed for their humor go ahead i for most of the film i thought he was just sort of affecting a real like numbness uh, as a character but then there's later scenes in it where he gets mad at her and i kind of realized ah oh, no he's just not he's not a great actor at least he wasn't in this part <laughs> in his career um, but the numbness part works, like when he's playing that off. Maybe because I don't speak German, but I think when he's getting sure. mad at her, it, it definitely doesn't work. I didn't buy that at all. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's just his style or if that's who he is as a person. It's hard in foreign language films if you don't speak the language. I don't speak German, so... A anyway, they they have airport TVs, which is an interesting there's thing. So ma there's so many cool things like that. Yeah. You know, they're smoking on the plane. There's like a lady in front smoking. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff like that that's pretty cool. So anyway, they fly to Amsterdam, uh, Philip and Alice together. And basically when they arrive in Amsterdam, uh, Alice's mum just doesn't turn up. So yeah. Alice is crying and then Philip starts reading from his little book names of all German cities because uh, Alice doesn't know where she's from. She doesn't know where she grew up or where her grandmother lives. But she think, when he says Wuppertal, she thinks that that's a city. So they go to Wuppertal and start driving around the streets looking for the grandmother. Can't find the grandmother's house, so uh, Philip takes uh, Alice to the police. And then uh, Alice runs away. She runs away from the police station, meets up with Philip again. That's sort of a weird little thing. Yeah. Because he sort of goes like, he doesn't really question it. He's like, okay. Does, is it, are we well, to take he, he, kind he of misses, misses her. her. Right. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. Her. That's what I would have gotten from it. Yeah, because I mean, also how nobody's having fun at that Chuck Berry concert. Yeah, he goes to a Chuck Berry concert, which is footage that, I mean, he shot footage of Chuck Berry in Frankfurt, mm. but he ended up having to get uh, someone else's footage. and Yeah, uh, D.A. Penbaker. Right, and then they switched it to black and white, but it does kind of look a bit weird. It does sort of stand out. It does, yeah, yeah, yeah. You do I get actually, to see um, Philip sing around watching Chuck Berry. I actually watched a really good D.A. Penbaker film this week, which I'll talk about next week. It's called Town oh, nice. Bloody Hall. I would highly recommend it. So then, yeah, they meet up, and after that, it's all giggles. Uh, they go around, they eventually find her grandmother's house, but an Italian lady's living there, typical. And they're, he's running low on money, so it's like, oh, man, I gotta, like, I, we got to skedaddle. I got to go to my parents, which, I mean, that must suck for him. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hey, I've kidnapped a child, mom and dad. So they um, get on a ferry, and bizarrely, I mean, this is the most sort of like, what's that police officer doing on the ferry? Is he searching? Is, or is he driving around looking for... Yeah, the film browse? grammar would have it that uh, Philip is about to get shot by a row of police cars. That That's another thing that feels like like it's of its time of 1973. He gets stopped by the police, and they're, the guy's like... So why did you just leave town? Like we told you that if you were going to leave town, you needed to let us know. And like, why are you traveling with this, with Alice, with this girl that you handed in to? And then eventually they say to him like, okay, now, now you get on a train and you take Alice home. <laughs> like, or, or they give, they give Alice yeah. a train ticket to travel by herself. She's like nine years old or something. And they're like... They just yeah. leave. They they essentially just leave her to go, and then he's on the same train with her. Now listen, so Humbert. Weird. Humbert, you're to take yeah. Lolita home. This exactly. It's yeah. so it's so dodgy, but yeah, but, but also isn't nice. A, isn't in a, a pedophile? I know, I know. That's what I mean. It's like it's. It, I just mean it. Like nowadays, the expectation would be that something bad is going to happen. But I mean, bad stuff was happening in the 1970s. As clearly, a matter of fact, as we see from everything that that's you know come to light. As a matter of fact, doesn't. 
Philip kind of leverages uh, Alice to get laid near the end of the film. Yeah, when they go to yeah, he but he's a hundred percent. They go swimming in the in the river when they are like sort of taking a break from hunting for her grandmother, and then she goes over. Alice goes over and like introduces herself to that woman and says like, "Do you think this man is my dad?" And then they get food out of it, and then they go home with her. Yeah, and Alice is like stuck in the other room while Philip is uh, yeah is having fun with the with this lady. I mean. That's a what a what a great what the the be, Alice the best wingman ever. Yeah, I mean Victorian parents get a bad rap, but like I would say seventies European oh, yeah. parenting awful. Good God, gross! And that's where you learned uh, all your tricks from. It's where is, you take your parenting from. This is exactly it. Shall I tell you a little bit about some of these cast members? There's some Do. fun stuff in here. So first of all, we've got Rudiger Vogler as Philip. Uh, okay. He appeared in a bunch of Vim Vendor's film, including yes, uh, The Wrong Move and 1991's Until the End of the World. The as movie a, as they a did character, with U2. Uh, a character called Philip Winter. Is it? Is, what, so no. U2 are in it or no? I don't think no, this is sorry. the same thing. They, no, they have a song on the soundtrack called Until the End of the World. No, they did a different movie with him, Hotel Paradise or some shit like that. Anyway, go on. Yeah, this uh, this it looked quite good to me, this film. Um, there's a four-hour, 40-minute director's cut which obviously I'm never, ever going to watch, but it <laughs> seems to be that's the preferred version. But it looks pretty cool. It's about, it's about the um, end of the world, and it involves driving around Europe a bunch. It looks pretty good. It's just oh, way it's too movie. long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, you know, one day I'd like to watch that, but not at four hours, 40 minutes. Next up is Yella Rotlanda as Alice. A child actor who trained as a medical doctor as an adult. She's now chief resident in internal medicine and rheumatology at St. Gallen Hospital in Switzerland. She can be reached on 071-494-1132. Uh, don't forget Swiss dialing code plus four one. What? The, the, lady, the girl who played Alice is now a doctor and she works in Switzerland and that's her phone number. 071-494-1132. <laughs> So if you if you do need if you're in Switzerland and you've got some sort of internal problem, then please do give Yella Rotlander a call. She comes highly recommended. She's not taking new patients by email, but you can call if you'd like to be seen by her. She's uh yeah, she's very good, apparently. Anybody anybody out there really enjoy Alice in the Cities? This is <laughs> yeah, the logical next step for you. If you'd like uh, Alice from Alice in the Cities to look at your insides, then that's a weird thing. Next up is Lisa Kreutzer as Lisa, as the, yeah, the imaginatively named Lisa, Alice's mother. Uh, she appeared in both of the films this week. She was married to Vim Vendors from 1974 to 1978. She most recently appeared in Grand Budapest Hotel as a German lady, probably. And she was in Netflix's Dark, also playing a German lady. I watched a 15-minute synopsis video about Dark's timeline the other day. I've only seen one episode. <laughs> And then I watched this video explaining the whole thing, and I still have no fucking clue what any of it means or anything. Everybody it looks says, quite interesting. Everybody says that's worth watching, yeah. It looks good, but it's one of those things where it's time travel, and then there's multiple realities, like there's multiple timelines, and everyone is someone's mom or dad that went back in time, and then they fucked, and then blah, 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 to insane levels across like 50 characters. So it looks Meh. mad. Yeah, it's too much. Plus, it's all. Might watch German. The Wire again. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. I'll never watch The Wire again. I've seen it too many times now. Go on. Next up is uh, Louis Moran 
as uh, she played the uh, highly acclaimed role of airport attendant. She was uh, <laughs> a stage musical and film star in the 20s and 30s, appearing in a number of pre-code films such as 1930s Mammy as uh, Al Jolson's love interest. And in 1927, she had a short affair with writer F. Scott Fitzgerald, who just moved with his wife to Hollywood. And uh, Moran became a temporary muse for the author, and he rewrote the character of Rosemary Hoyt in Tender as the Night to closely mirror her. And the novel Tender as the That's Night That's her, because is... I've heard of this lady before, yeah, by yeah, way yeah. of F. Scott Fitzgerald. Huh. Yeah, and the novel Tender as the Night is seen on the coffee table of that, that German lady that Phil sleeps with. Or tries to sleep with in the film. The the one who the mm. one in uh, New York. That's pretty fascinating. This was her last film, Lois Moran. I think she died in like 1990. But she basically hadn't been in films for something like 40 years before Alice in the Cities. Yeah, Vim Vendors, as we see as well in... Yeah, um, he loves to bring The American Friend. Yeah, well, also just interesting people. Yeah, rather yeah, yeah. Than, rather than just film directors and American Friend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Next up is uh, Sybil Beyer as Woman on Ferry. She is there with her real-life daughter on the, on the ferry. Mm -hmm. From 1970 to 1973, Beyer recorded a bunch of folksy songs in the style of Nick Drake. These songs remained undiscovered until 2006 when Beyer's son Robbie got hold of them and passed on, passed on a copy to Jane Maskis from uh, Dinosaur Jr., and Mascus okay. gave them to indie label Orange Twin, and the album was eventually published to great acclaim. Wow. Did you listen to it? Yeah, it's solid. I mean, it is very much like Nick Drake-ish, sort of singer-songwriter-y, folksy. I like Nick Drake. Singer. Yeah, it's worth checking out. Old uh, Sybil Byer. Last cast member, Chuck Berry as himself. Berry famously farted in the mouth of prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine having your entire life. He lived to like the age of 90. His entire life and career has been <laughs> distilled to that. That is unfair, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Chuck. Yeah, that he is does a pee in name. the video too, doesn't he? he? He's had terrible bladder control by, by all video accounts. That's what it seems anyway. Yeah. Apparently there was plenty more videos when that came from because his house was raided by the FBI and just one of the tapes was leaked, but apparently they found a lot of stuff. I believe there was also uh, him getting poo-pooed on. I believe that's another uh, thing. Listen, who are we to judge? No, I'll judge. I'll judge that. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's gross. It's not for me, but he was a very talented musician. So, you know, swings yeah. and roundabouts, I say. Exactly. But Not the, actual this, swings and But the thing is, like, I mean, America was, yeah, America was dealing with a difficult past, one that he had lived through. So, like, when the last people are sort of dead from the civil rights era or the Jim Crow South or anything like that, I expect no more blues musicians with poo um, fetishes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I see, I, no, yeah, you're right. Who are, who are we to judge? We didn't live through these times. Exactly. But once that's completely out of living memory, it's time to clear up, stop the nonsense, fellas. All right. No more, no more farting in. Let's, let's, let's park the farting in hookers' faces for a while. Well, we, one thing we can, we can say for sure Chuck Berry might not have been a friend to prostitutes, but he was certainly American. The American friend. Ah, very good. He's also probably a friend of the show at this point, is he? He is. He died uh, not that long ago, six years ago. All right. Friend of the show. American friend of the show. Yes. There we go. American friend of the show. I want to pick your brain a little bit on this because one, oh, one, my, big, my big takeaway. So first of all, well, I suppose 
I'll say this. I I love Anthony Minghella's films. I think his best I film I prefer to is, pronounce it Minghella. Nice. That, that's an admirable choice. I like Thank it. Thank you. I think his best film is The Talented Mr. Ripley. I, I, I saw that, I think, the year it came out. I was probably too young to completely get it at the time, but I do yeah. remember it, it, like, it moved me a lot just because it's, it takes you through a whole range of emotions. It's embarrassing. It's actually it's yeah. the, one, of the, one of the most cringy films you'll ever see. <laughs> You're right. It's so embarrassing. And then it's disturbing, and then it's just desperate and sad. I think it's a, an amazing, amazing film. And from everything I've like read since, particularly with the Ripley stuff, M- Mingella was exploring new territory with the character. Apparently, he had always been more of a sinister touch than that. But then, I've like I've never Pretty actually sinister. read. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but you you do feel very bad for him the whole way. He's he's a lot more vulnerable than he is in later versions or novels. I mean, well, I've, I've I've read the talented Mister Ripley novel. He's not. He's definitely not as vulnerable in it. I mean, there are he has he's more of a like sociopath. Yeah, but like the thing is, I suppose the main difference, and I'm glad to hear that there's uh, big differences between the book and um, the talented Mr. Ripley. First of all, I would say I've long found Patricia Highsmith a kind of a fascinating character in general, and I, yeah. I will I will read the Ripley books now, particularly after seeing American Friend, because I was just I'm glad to hear that. Apparently they deviated a lot, but I, I really want to understand this character more because I think it's a fascinating creation for somebody to make. Basically, a sociopathic villain who always gets away with it. But a sociopath is, who travels around Europe and speaks multiple languages. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm in Montenegro <laughs> myself. But. <laughs> but like, yeah, in The American Friend, for starters, he's more openly a criminal for at least the first half. Which than, is this, this is what the books are, though. This is what happens in the uh, novels. All after the first one is all about like art forgery, crime, him living with his his wife just outside Paris, and it's like the and he's the, consciously uh, a criminal. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like a very successful criminal. Okay, he's, he's very wealthy. He knows a bunch of gangsters. He does bits and he does work for them. The whole second book, which this film touches on elements of, is about there's a painter called Derwatt, blah blah blah. Yeah, so there's yeah. a paint there's a painter called something Derwatt, and um, he kills himself, and then Ripley and a bunch of guys are like uh, forging new paintings by this painter and selling them off. Okay, so like I suppose then. One of the things that might uh, take a little bit from this film is just how good the talented Mr. Ripley is in a, in a completely different direction. I enjoyed The American Friend, but it took me a little while to get on board with it. Because I, I was so distracted by the talented Mr. Ripley, quite frankly. I think this is... I mean, I like this film. I think it's a good film. I don't think it's a good Ripley film. I mean, Highsmith... The first time she saw it, Vin Vanders showed her the film and she was like, oh, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like Dennis Hopper as Ripley. And then she went and saw it again with like a public audience and she was like, you know what? Dennis Hopper has captured Ripley. I just think, I just think she was swayed by seeing it in front of an audience who liked it because it's a good film. Yeah. I, do, I don't think Dennis Hopper is like, I don't think he captures anything of Ripley. Almost I nothing. I think he's. I think he's great, but I think it's a completely different character. I disagree. I don't think he's good until about the last thirty minutes, when he, you start to see him being a bit needy, a psycho. The fact that he wants a friend, yeah. but I think the um, American friend. 
Yeah, I I think for like a lot of the film, he's just he just seems like an odd choice. But I like um, I like that. I like how just he's so full on and scary. I mean, he just got off a plane from the Philippines before they started shooting. He's like he was just in his full on drug lunatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Snow yeah, 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 yeah. So like he well, just I think Copper's generally great. I just think he's like. He captures something that's just, it's not Ripley. I just think it's very watchable. Like he, he's got like a laser focus. When he talks to people, he's so captivating that people are just sort of, you can't look away from him. He's got so mm. much, I don't know, presence, May charisma. Maybe I'm in the Highsmith camp because the thing is, I, I enjoyed him a lot in the second half. And maybe if I watched this again, I would like, I wouldn't be distracted by him, expecting him to be Tom Ripley, which is definitely is a distraction for, yeah, was yeah, a distraction yeah. for me. Compared um, to, yeah, compared to Matt Damon. I mean, Dennis Hopper was the second actor to play Tom Ripley. Now there's been five slash six because it mm. was Alan Delon, then Dennis Hopper, then Matt Damon. Malkovich in the Rip, the, the, the 2002 Ripley's game seems like a very faithful version of the book. And that's what Ripley's supposed to be like. Malkovich is like charming, but absolutely deadly. Hmm. And then there was a 2005 Ripley Underground adaptation starring Barry Pepper, of all people. And that film basically wow. it basically never came out. And it was like straight to DVD. And then next month, there's a TV series, uh, which is an adaptation of Talented Mr. Ripley. Eight episodes starring Andrew Scott. Opposite Johnny Fair. Flynn. Is, I, Johnny, Johnny Flynn right. is... Dickie Greenleaf. Dickie Greenleaf. And uh, yeah, but Andrew Scott's like f older than me. He's like 46 or something. Yeah. And Johnny Flynn's like 37 or something like that. It just feels like a weird... I think I was thinking... I was trying to think who would be a good Ripley nowadays. And I was thinking like of the young actors that first came the, came to mind were Chalamet. Lucas Hedges, I think, would be a, a decent uh, Ripley. Mm. But I think it's a tough one. I don't know. But anyway, Barry, next up Barry is Andrew Keown. Scott. That was... Barry. Yeah, that was, that was what I was thinking as well. That was my third choice. But I thought that was a he. I don't know if he has the face for it. It might be a bit too. <laughs> it, it like it might just be a bit too type for him. Like mm. which is saying something. My main takeaway from this uh, film was I am I really really do want to read these Ripley books because I think it's a story unto himself. How compelling the character has proven and how fascinating people find him. But that said, I also think that however many films this is into his career, five or six or whatever. I mean, he's just a really, really good filmmaker, isn't he? Yeah. It's, such it's, a, it's, it's a so well film. put together, like cruising between different locations, occasional nice little, you know, captivating images, which, as I mentioned before, he has a great eye for. Great choice of soundtrack as well. The soundtrack is, the score is excellent on this. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really, really contributed and not in an overbearing way. Gorgeous camera moves. Uh, an odd scene where Bruno Gantz puts gum under a counter in his own home. Don't understand that. <laughs> but at that point, he's already become a murderer, so maybe his morals yeah, are Yeah, Hamburg looks really really real it just like yeah. 1970s hamburg down by the river is just my god that's like a real real place well that's the like i i, I think clearly if you look at his career actually that he, vim vendors found there's a, a a thing you could he says about making alice in the cities where he says he felt he'd fumble the ball a little bit at the start and he wanted to make something that he felt only he could make and he's been called it before but like 
he's kind of the king of the road movie in a way in just the fact but this isn't a road movie but to be very good at road movies i I think the main trick of it is to really know how to use location well yeah to make location a big part a character in your film which of course robbie mueller plays a big part in it as well um just capturing these sites there's there's um what about that what about that the the build the house where um ripley lives it's such yeah. a weird it's like a sort of like a mansion that's fallen on hard times <laughs> yeah my friend Stephen ryan used to live in a house like that that's crazy there, there's a, a, an odd scene in the middle which I, i'm wondering would, would would you be able to explain to me actually there's an odd scene in the middle where all of a sudden for some reason ripley is in new york walking on a ledge towards the twin towers it seems like some of that stuff i think is from the second book because the guy that the guy that he goes and sees at the start is the guy who's forging the paintings from this yeah. painter so like that's by nicholas a, ray yeah it's a weird one because they're also it's just a comment on the the well there's all of this is like changed from the from the novel because it's mafia guys but in in this film it's like mafia guys from like new york and new jersey Whereas, like in the novel, it's it's real mafia guys, Italians, real Italians. So I think they've just sort of tied a few things together because they wanted it to, and well, because it looks cool as fuck walking yeah. along the side that's of the road. But, that, but that's that's the 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 one of that was my note for that scene. It's like I really don't know why this is here, but I, it's great. Just yeah. that, that I I started to like Dennis Hopper after that shot because he's just, like he's just. They're walking between freeways with a cowboy hat, talking to himself like a lunatic. It's mad. This was why I'd never watched this before, because like I was obviously a big fan of the Ripley stuff. But when I'd seen the image of this, of like Dennis Hopper in a cowboy hat, I was like, "What the fuck is that? Like, that's not Tom Ripley." Which it certainly is not. No, but it's, it's something else. Uh, yeah. Hold on, I'll I'll dig in a plot a little bit. I should be able to get through it quite quickly, despite the fact that it's a it's a long movie. So. As we mentioned, Tom Ripley, as played by Dennis Hopper, is there living in Hamburg, Germany, making uh, making mint off a forgery uh, scheme that he's got cooked up, where he forges this guy's paintings. The guy's played by Nicholas Ray. Uh, the guy, the forger, the painting forger, is played by Nicholas Ray. And then, kind of it, wandering around in the same world as well, we've got uh, this fella, Jonathan Zimmerman, played by Bruno Ganz, Adolf Hitler from Downfall fame himself, who's a picture framer. He's also dying of leukemia. Anyway, he gets into he he kind of because he frames so many pictures, he's he he's cute to what's going on he, he's kind of figured it out and he's kind of we don't know how we don't need to really he's kind of figured it out that it might be tom ripley so he snubs him uh, he snubs him for a handshake and then tom ripley does something very ripley-esque by the sounds of things he basically gets the mafia to pursue jonathan zimmerman to do a hit on a guy because he knows his family will need money because he's dying it's quite a psychotic thing to do which this is actually accurate, except in the book, uh, the character's English. Zimmerman. Yeah, he's called something else. I can't remember, but he's English. But it's very, very similar. He snubs um, Ripley, and Ripley's like, well, fuck you then. And, uh, but then Ripley he, also feels bad about that later on. That's accurate to the book, too. He does, yeah. Which, again, like that, this, is, this feeds into exactly why I find Patricia Heisman to be a fascinating character, because who comes up with stories like this? They're so human and that's one of the things i think is so great about mingella's film is that you feel bad for tom ripley the whole way through even as he's brutally murdering people it's it's a mad bit of emotional chess 
And there's a, there is a little bit of that here, but I suppose just the De- Dennis. It's the character is more Dennis Hopper than Tom Ripley, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the, he, uh, Zimmerman's got a nice family life, which makes you feel doubly bad for him. Then one day, just to kind of observe him and sort of make up, Ripley comes into his shop to get a little thing framed, and the two kind of have a little bit of chemistry at that point. But it's, he has obviously no idea that Ripley set him up for this thing. Then this gangster. Guy called Minot, I think his name is, isn't yeah. it? He's a, yeah, yeah. He visits Raoul Minot, that's his name. Uh, he visits Zimmerman and says, We know you're on hard times. We've got it. We can get you better doctors and we'll pay you a bunch of money to go shoot this guy. Um, we know you need the money. Um, so, yeah, come on, fucking do it. Zimmerman is initially like, No, but then he says, All right, fine, I'll do it. So he goes to Paris and pursues this guy on the metro after going to a fake doctor, which we find only find out later it's fake. And he pursues this guy in the metro and eventually brutally murders him. Does exactly the wrong thing. He acts mad, like a <laughs> madman afterwards, and it's obvious he did it on the cameras. What well, excellent but, um, scene, though. Excellent very, sequence. Very tense. Excellent sequence, wasn't it? I, just, yeah. I thought that was so brilliant. At that point, it really... I was geared into the movie at that point. This is this the other big difference between this and the novel and the 2002 film is... The main character here is basically Bruno Ganz. We're following, it's Bruno yeah. Ganz's story, but like the other versions are very much like Ripley is, Ripley's at the center of everything. Yeah, it's, it's the Ganz show all over for sure. Because yeah, we're basically following him through these tense plots. Anyway, then the, the gangsters decide to set Zimmerman up for another murder, which Ripley uh, uh, is like, well, I didn't bargain for this. And it's a more difficult one. He's got to murder somebody on a train. And at this point, Zimmerman's wife is getting suspicious as well, which is tough to see because they're a nice family. And actually, around there's around this time, they go to a fairground or an amusement park or something, and there's this great shot of them all on a roller coaster, and they're having a conversation. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I just thought that was really, really well shot. Yes, um, well done. Yeah, so he go- he gets on a train to Munich, I think, where he's supposed to murder these guys, uh, but it's all going wrong for him. Uh, he's supposed to garrote somebody in the bathroom, <laughs> which is pretty hardcore, but uh, Tom Ripley comes along and saves the day, and then they spend a happy few minutes taking down one guy, taking down another guy, stopping... Pe- like it's, it's all very- them off the train. Yeah, exactly. It's all very... Um, Benny Hill almost, just people going, hey, is there someone in the bathroom? No, nobody in the bathroom. Here's my ticket. And actually, uh, a sexy lady comes along and uh, takes a swig of whiskey off of Jonathan Zimmerman to take some <laughs> gives pills. Him a, gives him a little kiss. Yeah, yeah, and she gives him a little kiss. And then we see her at the end of the movie again, don't we? Do we? Yeah, yeah, I think she's one of the assassins. Oh, is she? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, she's the one that just walks off from the ambulance. Yeah, she's like, fuck this. Fuck this shit. So then, anyway, they get off the they get off the train. How do we discover again that the the assassins are coming for them? Uh, because Mino turns up at Zimmerman's house and he's like, ah, yes. they they bombed my flat. What the fuck's going on?" And Zimmerman is like, "I was with Ripley. Ripley was there on the train with me." Yeah, yeah, and he's like, "That son of a." So bitch. then Mino goes around to try and like he's going to go around to to Ripley's house. So Zimmerman and Ripley end up together at the mansion. Mm. With a, that mad, there's a mad old scene of like Zimmerman in a little trench <laughs> and Ripley's that, inside the house and they're like, they're sort of forming this weird bond. That is such a disturbing death where he pulls down the guy and the guy's cr- yeah. head cracks open and you've got the, <laughs> the, the, the shot of the guy, the life just leaving his eyes. Yeah. A big he's saying something as well. He's, yeah, he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. While he's dying. 
it's really like who was doing death scenes like that back then yeah. i thought that was like wow man fucking fair play because it is it's like you know because you're so used to if somebody you're so depending on what type of movies you watch you might be used to sort of an a-team type death or yeah, reaction yeah. you know what i mean but like the guy falls down cracks his head on concrete and then he's speaking deliriously before he yeah. dies it's it's quite something and there's like blood that's the right color even yeah, though it's yeah. in the 1970s hey you're right it's like it's accurate it's like yeah it's shocking stuff which um that really blew me for for sevens but yeah they're they're having this weird bond he's like put on this costume there's this there's this crazy part where because it's very dennis hopper it feels like dennis hopper's house yeah (laughs) imagine dennis hopper lives lived somewhere like this at this time (laughs) there's like and ripley is inside the house and he'll be like He'll turn on the light inside, give him a bit of advice, and turn on the light again. And he's, it's 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 weird. Um, he's like it, he's, it, he's 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 uh, like Dennis like Ripley's saying inside, saying to Zimmerman, like he must be really cold out there. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a weird interactions. And he gives him a cigarette, yeah. and uh, yeah, and they're they're like laughing. They're also drinking quite a bit as well, though. I think. Yeah, yeah, but it's it, like I don't know that like you can like clearly I don't know Ripley likes him. You know, yeah, yeah. He, and he wants to be buds at this point. And uh, yeah, then uh, they take care of these assassins and um, Zimmerman's wife arrives and uh, they're like, look, we'll, I'll be honest with you, I promise in a while, but we just got to get rid of these bodies. So then they drive the ambulance full of bodies down to the beach and blow it up. And then they, <laughs> then they, <laughs> they drive just away. drive off and leave Dennis up on the beach. And he runs <laughs> after so them funny. going like, you fucking assholes. <laughs> <laughs> and so not, nothing like this happens in the book. In the, the 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 book ending is very similar to the 2002 film. Whatever Zimmerman is is called, I can't remember the character name. The mafia guys come to try to kill Malkovich, and yeah. uh, he jumps in. He jumps in front of uh, Malkovich and like dies for him. And so Ripley's like kind of going like is trying to decide why this guy sacrificed his life for him. Oh, because he's such and a sociopath. He doesn't know. But I feel sad about it. He's kind of like, you know, because this guy was, you know, just very close to death anyway, but then he, like, sacrificed his life. Uh, yeah, I think I prefer the American Friend ending, actually. It's really? quite funny. Uh, it is yeah, quite yeah. funny, but it's weird. But, the, the, like, it suits the tone of this film more, don't yeah, you think? Yeah, 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 yeah. But this thing is, that's the thing about this film, is it's so its own thing. It's not yeah. it's so far away from the, like, Ripley novels that it, it might as well just have not had anything to do with them. And the, yeah, so then they're it just borrowed uh, plot points, a few plot points. That's it. Yeah, they basically say, "Hey, Dennis Hopper, we've got the rights to this thing. Come over here and do your Dennis Hopper thing." Anyways, they're driving away. Uh, he's driving, and he basically dies behind the wheel. Life fades from him, and um, but he's got all the, his money for his kids and stuff, uh, which is good. And then we cut back to Ripley on the beach, going, "We made it, Jonathan." Yeah, we yeah. Made. And then he quotes something. Oh, what is the quote? Oh yeah, yeah. He quotes um he quotes a Bob Dylan song. Yeah, he goes, "I I pity the poor immigrant" from John the John Wesley Harding album. Yeah, there you go. Respect. I imagine that was just Dennis Hopper riffing. Yeah. Um, anyway, in terms of um in terms of production, vendors had been wanting to make a Patricia Highsmith book for a while, a book into a film for a while. Um, but the ones he wanted, uh, which were not Ripley books, actually. Uh, well, maybe they were. The Tremor of no, Forgery, they or the, they're not okay. And yeah, but she offered him Ripley's Game Unpublished, and he said, yeah. And like you mentioned, he t- took elements from another book, which he didn't have the right to, apparently, but whatever. Uh, do you, you've probably read the Wikipedia, but do you know who was uh, he originally wanted for the role of Ripley? 
Yeah, John Cassavetes. John Cassavetes. It would have been a completely different film, huh? What was the age difference? How old was Cassavetes then? I would imagine him and Harper similar. would have been around. That uh, would yeah. be similar. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll... I feel like Cassavetes might have been older. Maybe not. I'll give it a check right now. Cassavetes born in 1929. No, yeah, he's older. Not much older, but uh, Hopper was like 30, born in 36 or something. Okay. I mean, they're the same generation of actors, yeah, you yeah, could say. Yeah. Well, yeah, and he suggested Dennis Hopper, who whose casting then informed a lot of the other casting, um, because Dennis Hopper was already a, a director himself. So he cast uh, Gerard Blaine, Nicholas Ray, and Sam Fuller. Uh, directors who we all who we knew quite well, which is an interesting way to approach it. And actually, particularly Nicola, Nicholas Ray is quite good in the film. I thought he's just. I liked. Uh, I thought um, Gerard Blanc was good. Yeah, no, I thought he was too. But I, I, I don't know something about Nicholas Ray. He was just like mm-hmm. he's just a weird looking dude. Sam Fuller is weird too, but he was he's only in it. He's not in it for long. Like, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just an interesting decision, and it's it's like. Very typical of Wim Wenders and um, Werner Herzog. They got quite in with loads of uh, American directors and directors from around the globe in general. They were like, you know, there was a real festival buzz back in the in the sixties and seventies with uh, just traveling around and get getting to know all, all the other arty filmmakers and helping one another out. I actually think Francis Coppola produced films for Wim Wenders later. They um, had similar careers because Wenders seems to have sort of dropped off a bit after the seventies. At least in terms of his narrative films. Yeah. I just mean quality-wise, he sort of, as he aged... Well, his lot, two biggest successes are in the 80s, though. But then it starts to really drop off. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but, like... And nowadays, like, his working. last He's few quite... films are, are supposed to be really awful. No, the, 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 his last few narrative films are supposed oh, okay. to be really poor. Yeah, I mean, there's the sick boy theory and all that. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, yeah. He, always prolific, which is... You know, I like that. Like yeah, Werner never Herzog stopped never stop and it never stops working either. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just artists. Anyway, what's to say about Dennis Hopper that people don't already know? We've already I we mean, talked about Dennis Hopper in the Hoosiers episode. I completely most, forgot Hopper was in that. Yeah, I know. And Oscar nominated. The only thing I interesting I found about Hopper this time is that he used to be big friends with uh, Elvis Presley back in the fifties. They would hang out together. I knew that, yeah, yeah. He gets smashed. Good effort. Yeah, indeed, good effort. Uh, uh, he was also, do you know what his first ever movie is? Uh, I remember him in Rebel Without a Cause. Is that his debut? Or? Oh, right. No, I thought it was a different one. Maybe because that seemed, no, I thought it was uh, True Grit. No, True Grit's in the 60s. You're right, actually. True yeah, Grit was so. like, he hadn't worked for something like seven years, and then he ended up, he was friends with John Wayne or... Like that's how he ended up ended up in films again. Was like he got cast and stuff because of John Wayne. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. He John credit- Wayne was like, doesn't matter if this guy's a dickhead. He's my dickhead. Yeah. Have you ever seen the second film he directed, Hopper? The last movie. No. Have you heard of it? Yes. The Cargo Cult movie. It's uh, it's nuts. I remember I, it, I remember reading about it in like Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. Yeah, but Peter Biskind hates anything. He, he said uh, Peter Biskind always thinks that the movies that ended people's careers weren't good. But the last movie is, I would say, the last movie is worth seeing. It's it's fairly nuts. Um, but I thought it was. I I think it's interesting. Like so, basically, it's about he plays a st- uh, a stuntman who gets injured on a western shoot down in Peru. And he stays behind after the production leave. 
and the local villagers start making fake cameras and sets and reenacting the making of the film <laughs> as like a procession, which is like a cargo cult thing. It's um, yeah, it's it's a interesting movie. I liked it. Apocalypse um, Now style. Yeah, Apocalypse Now, and I mean the speed. He's great in that, and Blue Velvet. I think like all round the, like the it, with particularly also with the recent death of um, Tom Sizemore. There's less and less of this kind of species of, uh, of uh, yeah, real-ass dudes in Hollywood, one would say. The one film of his I wanted to watch was the one he directed in 1980, Out of the Blue. I never got around to watching that. The only I've thing I knew that, no. about it was there was a quote on like a Primal Scream album, which was like one of the characters talking about killing hippies. Destroy, nice. kill all hippies. Kill all hippies, I know that song. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, there's like that little... Uh, quote at the start is from Linda Manz's character in Out of the Blue. That's very interesting that uh, Hopper would direct a film with the sentiment of killing all hippies. Well, it's, I mean, this was 1980, so he probably had enough time <laughs> to be like, fuck all that shite. Have you after ever seen... His, uh, after Easy Rider. Have you ever seen the response film to uh, Easy Rider, Electric Glide in Blue? No. Okay, so you know that... You know that actor who he played Beretta, um, and he's uh, he just died the other day. Lost Highway as well. Uh, Robert Blake. He he died Blake like about did... two days ago. Oh right, two, three okay. Days ago. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Robert Blake, exactly him. So he's he he plays a cop in the sixties, seventies, um, and he's a good dude. He's got a like got a lady he visits who's you know, but like the thing is he he's not like a stuffy old stuffed shirt of a cop, and the hippie characters in it are just dirtbags like it's a really early look at the sinister side of the sexual revolution and the counterculture and stuff like that because they're all just drug addicts who take advantage of ladies and stuff and uh, then at the end of the movie after he kind of sorts out this local hippie dirtbag he's uh, driving along the highway in his uh, police motorcycle and a pair of dirty hippies shoot him out the side of it so it's like an exact flip side of, ah, um, of, Easy Rider. of the Easy Rider ending. Yeah, it's interesting. There's not a whole deal to say about Bruno Ganz other than the fact that he's, he's a, highly, a highly respected actor all his life. Yeah. I mean, he's he, he like, died just a few years ago as well, 2019. He did, yeah. And it's fair to say it's like, I mean, he's obviously defined by playing Adolf Hitler in the film Downfall, which I think I've, I've seen three or four times. It's an incredible film. Um, I've only seen that once. I saw it in the cinema. I don't remember... I don't remember much about it. Like, this is the worst part, is all I really remember is that big, that speech. <laughs> that one that was like... Oh, the one that used. gets parodied. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. one that's parodied all the time. That's literally all I can remember about to it. To be fair, that's an excellent parody, just changing yeah, the subtitles yeah, yeah. and giving them different context. I'm a big fan of that. But no, it's like the performance is so complete, the details about the theorizing of what went on in the bunker you know the the bad messaging that people were giving to hitler um it's fascinating um and like i i would class it as an epic i'd imagine it's long enough to be an epic isn't it it's quite a long movie yeah it's 155 minutes i uh, wow. must watch that again I, soon it's so bizarre that i've just completely edited that down to, i do remember a bunch of people taking their like suicide pills that's about it yeah the, no, i need to uh, watch the this Goebbels again children i yeah, just yeah, can, i can't remember anything i'm gonna it. watch it again very soon i think it's a incredible film and it's it, like the entire film rests on Gans's shoulders and he is mm -hmm. just electric in it the parkinson's ticks and the just insane megalomania like i mean as as anybody who's listening to me or has listened to me for longer than 15 minutes in real life will know i've no, got a bit insane of megalomania yeah yeah i've got a bit of an interest in the in the third reich 
and like there's this book you can read. This is for this is only for fans probably. Uh, it's called Fans Hitler's, of the Fuhrer. In a manner of speaking, it's called Hitler's Table Talk, right? And it's just basically he got super para in the in the forties, and um, he had people like stenographers just write down everything that was said at his meals and just his casual so it's just stuff it's just random shit hitler would rant on with basically and that that kind when you read that you really get a picture of him more so than in anything else and yeah in downfall i think bruno gans must have read hitler's table talk because it's well or the screenwriters probably the probably the screenwriters but it just it just gets the energy so yeah gans in this i would say that mustache makes me think maybe I should maybe I should go for a mustache, but it's a good mustache, isn't it? I agree I just, with you there. I don't think I can pull it off. He's got a great mustache face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's which very is good probably mustache. why he ended up being Hitler. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, a yeah. Solid life of mustache wearing. Uh, we've already talked about Lisa Cruiser, uh, Gerard Blaine. I have. I don't know if I've seen or even heard of any of his films. No, he seemed like a sort of French John Cassavetes. Like it looks like he starred in some of his the films that he directed. Fair. Um, yeah, started off as an actor and then started making films. He died ha- in two thousand. I have seen um, a few Nicholas Ray films. Um, yeah, I mean, he directed... Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah, Johnny Rebel Without Guitar. a Cause. So he directed uh, Dennis Hopper. That's right, yeah, yeah. They would have known each other that way. But yeah, highly, highly respected in European circles and in the exact same way as Sam Fuller, who I've seen a good few of his films and I would be a big fan of his. Um, and he would have been, like, he lived in... He lived in Europe most of his life. Just, yeah, kind of abandoned the American ship early on and he was a fixture around Paris just smoking and drinking, but also making films. He was, again, quite prolific. Was uh, Ray communist or anti-communist? Or? I don't know. If he was popular with the, with the likes of Jean-Luc Godard, it's quite possible he was a communist, to be honest. Because yeah, the, the, the new wave boys worship at the altar, you know? Mm. The boys. Anyway, that might be all I have to say about that. The only other person I would draw attention to is David Blue, who oh. played the character of Alan Winter, who I think is the guy who buys the painting early on yes. and then goes away. He was like a big Greenwich Village folk guy. He came up alongside Bob Dylan and Dave Van Ronk. Oh, yeah, he was in the Rolling Thunder Revue. So Look he's a big like uh, inside Lewin Davis type from mm. that generation. But uh, yeah, he'd been in a couple of things. Uh, I listened to some of his music again. It's pretty solid from that sort of Greenwich Greenwich Village folk scene. It was pretty good, but unfortunately he died age 41 in 1982 while jogging in Washington Washington Square Park. That's, I mean... It's right next to the comedy cellar. Yeah, that's exactly the way to go if you're a New York folk singer, isn't it? Yeah. If you're a New York bohemian, just, yeah, die randomly in the city. I'd never heard of him before, but he's uh, he's, he's quoted alongside some of the, the, the big names of the scene. So Must another watch inside Lewin Davis again. Yeah, well, as I said before, that was the film that inspired me to do stand-up comedy, which is insane <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah, it is a bit insane. Does, I think you watched does, it wrong. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, I did. I didn't take the key. I didn't. I didn't take the key themes from it. I think. Is it toss time already? It is. Sweet. What have you? I think you're on coin duty this week. My I am. Friend. I got a coin here. All right. What are you bringing to the table, Sunshine? Well, I think we've both gone back in time and selected stuff from ages and ages ago that we put up for a toss. So mine was uh, Derek Chian France's The Place Beyond the Penis. 
Place Beyond the Pines. Place Beyond the Pines, yes, indeed. Uh, sorry, I'm slightly dyslexic. And I've gone with uh, one I, all, One of us, or both of us, I don't know. It was pushed and it didn't. we didn't end up watching it. It was you, it was definitely you. Kleber Mendoza's Phil, Phil Holes, sorry, Aquarius 2016 drama. This is the, film. the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Indeed, Aquarius. Anyway, yeah, been really wanting to see this for a while. Fair play. I hope we both choose the same companion picks from last time. I know I did. I don't know. <laughs> I bet you did. Be. I did. One hundred, obviously. What, what uh, else is going to be? I'm glad. Right, <laughs> I was I know, relying on I that. Want to see that as well. I know. I want <laughs> to see this one too. Okay. Well, yeah, there's. We have this, the uh, the the issue of tossing. We need to toss first. So it's one or head. Let's call it heads or tails. Okay. Give me tails. I actually want to win this week. Now I've changed my mind. It is heads, I'm sorry to say. Oh, no. We're you never going to watch a Portuguese movie. All right. Well, you might as well share what I yeah, won. Yeah, so you haven't won Baccarat again, unfortunately. Baccarat, uh, if the follow-up to Aquarius, which looks just, super interesting, the 2019 yeah. neo-Western type thing. Yeah, I might just have to break the rules and watch these yeah. in my own time. <laughs> um yeah, so I've seen uh, Place Beyond the Pines, I think a couple of times. I remember oh, wow. enjoying it, but it's it's got a very uh, clear theme in it of just, I don't know, settling the debts of uh, paternal relationships. So with that in mind, I thought I'd be very nice to you and l- send you another Jacques Odiard your way, probably oh, my nice. favorite Jacques Odiard film, The Beat That My Heart Skipped from 2005, which I was I'm a huge fan of. Very nice, very nice. All right. Well, I better get showered for uh, Mike Neuters. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Shower yourself. Shower well. Wash every little nook and some crannies. No, I'm going to leave the crannies. (laughs) Don't leave the crannies. (laughs) The crannies are the the sweatiest part. No, I'm planning on growing some mushrooms right out the crannies. Okay. Get in your cranny hole. Uh, So what are we doing next time, Rand? Oh, God, yeah. We've no no idea. Although I did see the new uh, uh, trailer for the new Jonah Hill film, which looks unbelievably bad. Oh, the the one where he's like a podcaster. Is that available? We should, maybe we should watch that. It's called You People. You People. What do you mean by You People? Yeah. So it's him and Eddie Murphy. And do you want to watch it? Maybe we should, because we've been watching too much good stuff of late. That's true. All right, here we go. Uh, For next week, we'll be talking about uh, probably The Last of Us, a lengthy discussion of that. Yeah. And uh, you people. You people. Let's do it. Let's do it. Peace. Love you all. Love you, Andy. Lots of love. Bye.